Um, good, good evening, everyone, and especially to all the new people, the new guests who are here tonight. Um, it's great to have you with us. Um, my name is Scotty. I'm one of the two paid leadership here with Rose, who is around, and I see Rose's whanau are in the house tonight, so how about you give them a warm welcome as well. Um, Um, Yeah, Rose and I decided that I'd speak the week after camp because we felt you guys hadn't heard enough from me recently. Um, But but this is actually the last time I will speak at Blueprint this year. Um, So I'm actually um, on uh, November the 26th, um, (laughs) I was choosing to ignore that one. Um, On uh, November the 26th, Rose and I, Jess Adams, uh, Dale and um, Matt are heading to India with a crew from AYM. Um, sorry? Oh yes, and Jeshua. Um, and um, <laughs> thank you, Lindley, always making sure no one's left out. Um, and, uh, and so we're going to India for three weeks to check out some social businesses over there, which uh, Kiwis have set up and, and handed over to local people. Um, we'll also be heading down to Orissa um, to help out with the school down there as well. Um, but then after that, um, Anna, who's just walked in, um, my darling wife, um, is, um, she is uh, flying from uh, here to London, and I'm flying from uh, Delhi to London, um, and then we are going around the UK for about um, five weeks doing our whakapapa um, through um, England, Wales, Scotland, um, and, uh, and, and learning where we come from and praying in those places and um, yeah, and, and knowing our story. So, going to be away for a bunch of January, um, and it's, it's a little bit early, but just a lot of the time, if you're new to Blueprint, what we do over the summer is we kind of dial back the intensity of everything. Like, we don't really set up sound systems or anything like that, because this is, like, so intense, right? Um, and um, we, uh, yeah, we just kind of dial things back, um, keep it lazy, give the volunteers some time off, and I've put um, four of our speakers on... Um, Jesse, Rose, Max and Alana and ask them just to all have permission to do something weird and different over summer that it's like a great time of year, you know, when no new people are coming, where they can just like take all the risks they want. So it's going to be a wild four weeks in January um, enjoy that one um, and, um, and I'm aware that like at the moment I think we are like um, those of us who are at camp and those of you who have caught up on the messages I'd really encourage you to if you haven't um, but um, I think like last weekend was like a lot of content, like it was a lot of like um, a lot to take in, and so um, I'm gonna go kind of short tonight, I think, um, and um, yeah, and speak from the lectionary verse for this week, which is from Mark 10:46 to 52. So feel free to close your eyes or do whatever you need to do to um, imagine yourself in the midst of this passage. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. 
So in this passage where the story, Jesus and his disciples are, are, are coming towards Jericho um, and they come across, there is this man who is on the roadside who is blind and he's begging for money. And this man um, has heard that Jesus of Nazareth is around and so he calls out to him. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. Now the understanding was all through the prophets that the Messiah would come from the line of David, this great king who was viewed as the golden age of the Jewish people. And so he says, Son of David, come, have mercy on me. And the crowd says, shut up, mate. But he shouted all the more. He shouted over them, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped, heard him, says, bring him over here. Come over here, mate. And I love how this particular, the NIV says, so they called to the blind man, cheer up. <laughs> Dicks. Um, <laughs> cheer up, on your feet. <laughs> He's calling you. <laughs> um, Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Man says, Rabbi, I want to see. He says, go, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and he starts following with the mob who are following Jesus. Jesus has this particular bent for the deaf, the blind and the impaired. Like he's always, always on about these people, you know, and I think we don't totally get it in our culture. I remember a few years ago when Anna and I were in Ethiopia, and one of the things that struck me immediately was the number of people on crutches. You know, in, uh, in a country like ours, you don't really see that, right? You break your leg and we head down to A&E and if it's really bad, they pin it. Or if it's not too bad, they cast it. Or if it's kind of just a sprain, they wrap it up, you know. But you don't really like, you know, if we see people on crutches, it's very much the sense that, well, one day they will not be on crutches. Like, this is a temporary thing. Now, something I noticed all across Ethiopia was these people on crutches everywhere. Because when something had broken or when something had fallen apart, then that was just life. That in this impoverished part of the world where they had a famine coming on at the time, that if there was a break, if there was a health problem, high chance that was a changing moment for your life, not a few weeks off work. And I don't think we get the implications in our culture when Jesus talks to the deaf, the blind, or, or what he says, the lame, um, because we can treat many of these things, and if we can't treat them, we kind of can adjust society to make room for them, to accommodate for them. Um, for the blind, the deaf, and the impaired, in Jesus' time, however, this was a social death. Like, this was, this was big time. This was a sentence reducing you to begging for charity. And the, in the Gospels alone, the blind are mentioned 48 times. Now, to put that in perspective, there are only 89 chapters in the Gospels, so the blind get a mention every 1.8 chapters, roughly, on average. That's quite a lot of talking about the blind, eh? Isn't that interesting? I mean, I was just thinking this earlier. You know, Jesus says nothing about um, nothing against or for the LGBTIQ community, and we spend so much time talking about that but here are some people Jesus talked about all the time, and how often do we talk here, you know? Like, how much hotter do we expend on, on something where Jesus never spoke, asserting what he believes about it, when we have such clarity around a marginalised people who Jesus did stand up for? I just think it's interesting we're so quick to cast the stone and to ignore these other, these other areas. And Jesus actually attaches his claim to divinity with the blind. Um, Luke 4, 18, 19 he stands in the synagogue and Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Right at the beginning 
of Jesus declaring what his ministry is about, he says, you know, he's only got three sentences, and one of them is sight to the blind. If he's establishing a manifesto for what his ministry is about, a huge part of that is sight to the blind. And then there's another passage, Matthew 11, John has gone into prison. Uh, John the Baptist, who we talked about at camp last weekend, and it says this, When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of Jesus, the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And how does Jesus reply? Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So twice, when Jesus sets the manifesto for his ministry, the blind, the deaf, and the impaired are right at the heart of it. And then when John asks, were you the one who I was making a straight way for? He says, do the deaf have the hearing? Do the blind see? Do the lame walk? So impairment, deafness, physical disability, and particularly blindness are actually like huge to Jesus. And so I want to look at like three things quickly from this passage. The first part of it I want to look at is that opening stanza. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. See, Bartimaeus didn't need to see to know. I find this interesting. He didn't see Jesus, but he's heard a kerfuffle. And there's actually something that we have here in common with Bartimaeus, right? That actually none of us have actually seen Jesus either, right? Except for maybe some of you have come from a super Spiro-Penty background, you know, maybe, or, or otherwise super Catholic, the other end of the spectrum, and then you saw him in a t- tortilla once or something like that. Um, but none of us, you know, none of us have actually seen Jesus, right? Like Bartimaeus. But we have the sense sometimes that the Messiah is somewhere near us. That the Messiah is within our vicinity. We have heard the crowd, whether it's in church or in a place like this, or we have heard creation crying out saying, Messiah is nearby. And we, like Bartimaeus, are asked to trust in what we cannot see. It's an interesting passage, John 20, 29, where we hear of Thomas, who meets Jesus after his resurrection and does not believe it's him, and says, unless I can see the scars in your hands and the scars in your feet, then I will not believe it is you. And so Jesus, being a good guy, shows him and he believes it is him. But then he says to Thomas, it says, Jesus told him this, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet believe. See, here's a really unpopular thing for our generation that Jesus says. He asks us for blind faith. He asks us for blind faith. And there could be almost nothing more offensive to us in some ways in this generation. We are educated people here largely in this room. Most of us with grad degrees, some of us with post-grad degrees. I think there's a doctor in the house too. There's, you know, we are educated people. We work it out first. We can access all of the knowledge in the world within seconds, within a click, right? You know when you're watching that Facebook argument unroll like between two people? And they just happen to have bizarrely specific statistics to offer one another. You know, it's not actually you two fighting, it's Google fighting with Google. Um, and um, we, we have all the, all the knowledge in the world within minutes. And Jesus says, don't start with questions, start with faith. 
Start with this vague sense that you can't see me, but that you get a sense the saviour of the universe is nearby. That you're hearing a rumbling that maybe the saviour is nearby and you can't see him, but you call out. Say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. See, the scriptures use interesting metaphors for what it's like to walk the Christian faith. I like um, Psalm 19, 105. You are a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That lamp unto my feet I find interesting, right? Because it's not the dolphin ever ready, like, ex- you know, exploding, like blinding the possum's light. Where everything is forever, we can see it. But it is a lamp unto my feet. That the next step is revealed only as I take the one before it. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 talks about how this side of eternity we see now as in a mirror dimly. That, 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 that the way we see the movement of God at this time in history is this opaque mirror. is this dirty mirror that we look through and we can see shadows, but we can't see much else. And this is how Jesus asks us to walk with him, in shadow and in shade, but with brief senses and glimpses of clarity, trusting with him along the way. I've talked a few times here, a, a huge part of my story was a, a battle for four or five years with anxiety and depression. And at the time I was working, um, I was working at Zeal Youth Centre downtown, which a number of people work in now. And I came from a charismatic Anglican background originally. Um, and so what I understood was that the voice of God sounded the same as my gut. That whatever I felt in here, or whatever made me comfortable or uncomfortable, I could trust to be the voice of God. So when I went along to the big prayer meeting, and I felt the tingles, that was the voice of God. And then I come into this place of deep darkness, where my emotional range goes from between 0 and 10 to between about 2 and 3 every day. And suddenly the emotions disappear. And with the emotions disappearing, so does my sense that God was with me. And I had to go through this process of learning that the truth of God is still the truth of God, even when I can't hear or feel or see God. And many of us have been through that. Some call it the dark night of the soul. That time where we come to believe in God, not as the friend who cuddles us when it's hard, but as a reality like gravity. That it doesn't matter whether I believe in it because the reality is gravity is here. The reality is God is here. And often in the dark night of the soul, that's all we have anymore. Jesus calls us to follow when we can only see in part or not at all. And this is what Bartimaeus does. Second scripture, verse 49.50, Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And it says, when he was called, he threw his cloak aside. Now some theologians I looked at as I was studying this passage noticed the importance of this. That his response was to throw away his only possession as a beggar. His response was, Jesus, son of David, has called me. I won't be needing this anymore. And off with the thing that kept him warm at night, off with the thing that cushioned him as he sat on the stony ground begging. And you know, we looked at this last weekend at camp. We talked about those parables of the pearl of great price, that a man finds a pearl in the field and is so enamoured with it that he sells everything he has to buy the field. We talked of another similar parable which comes just before that one, where a man finds a treasure in a field, goes away and sells everything he he has to have the treasure. In other words, I won't be needing this anymore. I have found Jesus' son 
of David. I'm reminded of Peter, Matthew 4, 19 and 20. Jesus says to Peter, not much else. He says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And at once Peter left his net and followed him. It's quite naive, eh? (laughs) Come with me, follow my way. All right, won't be needing this anymore. And off he goes. See, there's an otherworldly naivety to blind Bartimaeus. Not only does blind Bartimaeus trust Jesus when he can't see him, but he goes a whole other level and he goes all in on what he can't see. That's kind of interesting, eh? Not only do I not have all the information, but I'm also putting everything on the line for this partial picture of God that I have. It's like, um, I don't know if you guys are like this, but I'm not very good at poker, but every now and then I play it. And, uh, and somewhere around the two-hour mark, I just get bored. And I just start going all in on a hope again and again. <laughs> and if you were to look at my hand, there would be four threes or something. No, that, that would be a good hand, actually. Um, if you were to look at my hand, there would be a three, a six, and a two. Um, <laughs> all of different suits. Um, but yeah, this is what Jesus, uh, this is what Bartimaeus does. Is not only does he say, I will follow the one who I cannot see, but also I will go all in. I won't be needing this anymore. You know, around that same time of, um, of being really low at Zeal, um, Anna and I have been dating for a number of years. And, um, and one of the really difficult things when you're in a, a relationship with someone and you're also in a place of enormous mental and emotional darkness is that all the feelings that are meant to follow that don't follow it either. And so this, this whirlwind of infatuation that is supposed to carry you off into this life of romance, for some reason you sit in this narrow emotional range where you struggle and you struggle and you struggle. And I remember I couldn't make a decision. I've told some of you this before, but I could not make a decision to get married. I was just, just paralysed in the middle of this. And uh, one night at Blueprint, I was down with my head on the carpet and I whispered to God, I said, God, I cannot make this decision. I said, you are going to have to scream at me if you want this to happen. About 10 seconds later, um, Vicky Ward from this church came from the other side of the room, put her hand on my shoulder and said, it's time for you to marry Anna. (laughs) (laughs) What I'll tell you is a promise of God came then. I really believe God did speak to me in the midst of that. But what that did not all of a sudden give me is the emotional range I needed to feel like I could trust God again. What it did not give me is, is, is all the emotions I needed to step forward. All it gave me was the reality of gravity that God was present. And to walk forward in that. Mm. Remember a little while ago I had this friend who came to faith. And she came to faith through this very kind of intellectual process where she basically put God to the test over and over and over again. And as every God met every test of her intellectuality, God was allowed a little further into her life. And she had about a solid year of following Jesus, but then eventually she reasoned her way back out of God again. And that's been my experience of anyone who reasons their way into God is normally they will reason their way back out again. And why that is is because we can work out, the moment we can work out God, I think God ceases to be God. You know, and the reality is that if we work out God to know him, then our intellect is always enthroned above God when we come to know him. And it's not that the knowledge, it's not that the theology, it's not that all that stuff isn't really important, it's super important. 
and it can remove some of the barriers along the way. But if you think you have worked out God and God is allowed to be near you based on meeting your intellectual test, then you have enthroned your own mind above God. God calls us to a blind faith. Faith first. See, when people realised who Jesus was, they said, I won't be needing this anymore. They laid down their jobs, their identity, and their community to follow him. Final part of the passage, it talks about how after reaching out to Christ despite his blindness, and then going all in to follow him, Bartimaeus receives healing and is able to see again. And what is it that Jesus says in Mark 10.52? He says, your faith has healed you. Revelation and understanding follows trust. Because if you understand first, your mind is enthroned above God. Essentially, you worked out God. See, the world says, get your head around it and then make a decision. Jesus says, follow me and then I will reveal you. I love a quote by Anne Lamott. She says, the opposite of faith isn't doubt, it's certainty. The opposite of faith isn't doubt, it's certainty. You know, you don't need a relationship with God if you know what God thinks about everything already. <laughs> you know, you don't need a relationship with God if you've already worked out God. If you've already worked out the ethic of God, the polemic of God. But if we live in the grave relationship with God, then we actually have to stay in communion, in communication with God. And actually ask him, what do you think about this? And I think this brings us back to why Jesus is so big on blindness and impairment. Because the blind man who is begging must depend on the generosity of others. The blind man is incapable on his own. You have similar stories like this. Luke 5, we hear the story of a crippled man who could not get to Jesus. And he must be lifted by his friends onto the roof of a building and then lowered down in front of Jesus. In John 5, we have a man who is desperate to get to the healing waters of the pool of Bethesda. And he can't get in and he is asking for someone to come and carry him. It is these people who are incapable, these people who are dependent, sometimes codependent, who Jesus has the special place in his heart for. Jesus is passionate about the poor, the blind, the deaf and the impaired because they are experts in dependency. But many of us are experts in independency, both from God and one another. And Jesus calls us out of our spiritual blindness to be able to depend on him before we have the evidence. And out of our desperate dependence on him for liberation, we receive healing. I think when Jesus says to the blind man, your faith has healed you, he is saying you have depended fully upon me. And so when the blind man receives his healing, he then does not celebrate his healing by running a million miles from Jesus, but he celebrates his healing by following the way of Jesus. Now, I never show um, video clips in sermons, um, because sometimes I think they're a bit lame, but I think this one I want to show today is, is really, really cool. Um, and it's from an 80s movie, which I realised, like, I just realised the other day that like, I'm getting old, and for some of you in this room, like an 80s movie to you sounds like a 60s movie to me. Um, but, um, <laughs> but then there's others in the room who are like, I remember going to that in my 20s. Um, so, um, so what I want to do is I'm just going to show you this great clip from Indiana Jones. Any Indiana Jones? Yeah, cool. All right, here we go. Thank <laughs> you. 
Now, I know it will be very hard for you to make the leap between what I've spoken about and what's in that video, um, but, um, but just try to go with me on this one. Um, I think there's a challenge for, for um, us here today, particularly last weekend, as many of us began to step into these foolish places of hearing God's voice speak and of healing and of transformation um, is to begin to believe in something we have not seen before. You know, one of the things that Jesus says is, if you want to follow me, you must become like a child. He says, if you want to follow me, you must be born again. I love uh, the way Yoda puts it while we're on 1980s movies. He says, you must unlearn what you have learned. That actually the Christian journey, the following of Jesus is walking into the greyness, the murkiness, the unknownness, and trusting that God will be faithful in the midst of it before we necessarily have the evidence. And so I think there might be some ways that we could respond to this tonight. Um, I think there are some of you here tonight, we, one of the things I love about Blueprint is we always have people here who are just checking out Jesus. You're not totally sure. I want to encourage you tonight that if you have that sense that Messiah is near um, and you're waiting for the lightning bolt from the sky, it doesn't happen that often. It doesn't happen that often. And I think the call for you tonight maybe is as Indy does, to put one foot in front of the other and know that understanding often comes because of our faith. Secondly, I think some of you tonight have been called by Christ and there might be certain things where you need to say, I won't be needing this anymore. There may be certain things that you are holding on to as a secondary allegiance to Christ or an allegiance in front of Christ. Um, And I don't want to tell you what that is, but I think as we pray and as we worship, that may be revealed to some of us. And then I think there's some of you um, who are awaiting healing. And that's actually the thing that that brought you as as did did Bartimaeus. Um, And tonight we'd love the opportunity to to pray for healing, wherever that may be physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, um, that God would do a work there. Um, I want to encourage you as, as we go into a time of, of worship and of, uh, of singing together and of praying for one another, um, if you are someone who over this, that last weekend or the last few weeks has begun to come alive in that space of speaking words over people, praying for people, of seeing healing happen, um, then uh, let's not slink back into the service as if it's two weeks ago, but let's take that gift and what God has done in you and begin to use that. Um, so if you want to respond to, to any of what I've shared tonight, normally what we do is we go and kneel at that cross in the corner over there, um, and, uh, and someone will pray for you. But can I invite the music crew up a moment? And, uh, and why, don't, um, why, don't we, um, why don't we stand together and close our eyes, and I'll pray for us. Father, we thank you um, that for many of us in this room, there was a time where you passed by and we couldn't necessarily see you, but something within us um, called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Lord, um, tonight we, we want to give you the praise that you deserve. We invite your spirit to come and move amongst us, to move within us um, and, uh, and to speak Um, to that place of blind faith within us, to call us to a new naivety 
and to allow us to throw off the old things that we won't be needing anymore.